And hello, everyone. Welcome to John's Comic Corner. I am your host, John. And today we have the co-writer, the creator, the playwright, the man, the myth, the legend, Matthew Klein. Oh, my goodness. Uh, the $20 is in the, the Venmo I just sent you, I promise. Thank but you. I no. love the fact that you think I have Venmo. Is it Cash App? Is that where you're at? Or is I it literally have... I have two apps on my phone. Um, I have the Netflix app and I have HBO Max. Those are the only two apps I have on my phone. See, so. I'm very disappointed that you don't have Grindr on your phone. I'm very happy <laughs> right now. Grindr's for pretty people. Okay. <laughs> so, 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 welcome to so the new This is what happens, ladies and gentlemen. We just jump right into, you know, falling into old habits. Like, yeah, super John classic. and I have been around the block. <laughs> so tonight on the Comics Corner, uh, in honor of the upcoming Marvel series, Loki, do you know the release date? I don't know the release date. June 8th. So by the time uh, folks are listening to this, I believe at least the first episode will be out. I've actually heard a rumor that they're going to be dropping a couple episodes early. So we are Very in. nice. Very nice. So we haven't seen any episodes yet. Are you planning on doing the weekly watch? Oh, I'll do the weekly watch. Okay. Yeah, I've been I've been doing that with the Marvel shows. What about you? Uh, I don't think so. And I'll get really? into this when we talk about the book that we're going to talk about tonight. I think I'm going to do a binge watch on this one. Um, mm. But I also think this weekend I'm going to re-binge watch WandaVision. Um, just because. Um, and if you haven't listened to our WandaVision episode, do go back and listen to it. Um, you will hear Matthew and I get into a couple of fights. You will hear me get really, really frustrated. And uh, yeah, lots of good comic talks. Everything that you expect when you walk into a comic book store and nerds abound. So uh, let's talk nerd stuff, shall we? All right. All right. So tonight we're doing Thor volumes one and two by the television writer um, and the comics scribe J. Michael Straczynski um, with art by Olivia, Olivier Coypel and Marco Durdevic. I think I pronounced that correctly. Fingers crossed I did. Um, we should know that because Yelena did a bunch of the Divinity covers when we were at Valiant, like for I Divinity know. 2 and 3. We really should know how to pronounce his last name. I know, we should, but we always we only called her Yelena. It's true. We only ever called his wife Yelena, uh, who is an immensely talented artist. Anybody listening out there, they, they are such a lovely couple and they are so talented. It's just disgusting. Yes, and to this day, she's still done my favorite comic book cover ever with that Death Defying Dr. Mirage, volume two, number one. Uh, which Second if you've box. not read, that is absolutely a recommendation from this comic corner, written by Jen Van Meter with Roberto De La Torre doing the artwork. So oh, bonus so recommendation. Yes, let's do an entire, can we do an entire comic corner where we do, do nothing but talk about comics love stories? Yes, but only if we reach out to Jen Van Meter and see if we can get her on the podcast to do it with us. Okay, I would love to do that. That would be a really good Valentine's Day episode, wouldn't it? Oh, put it on your calendars now, dear listeners. Okay, there we go. All right, so let's talk a little bit about this. Um, so uh, I'm going to do a little bit of history for this. So this run is from 2007. And at this point, Thor had been off of the Marvel Comics 
big white bulletin board for three years, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, and this takes place, I think maybe a year or so after civil, a little less than a year after Civil War. Um, Bucky is Captain America. Uh, the Avengers are in hiding. Um, and the Mighty Avengers are the new official team of the Marvel Universe. Um, okay, so we're gonna talk Loki in a second. Loki doesn't really appear in the first part of this. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about um, how this story opens and the idea that Straczynski says, which is it's not for the gods to decide if man exists, it's for men to decide if God exists, which I think is a really, really fascinating, um, which I think is a really, really fascinating viewpoint because it, when it starts, Thor is dead. And the first five or 10 pages are essentially Thor coming back to life, which I think actually was handled really, really well and really, really interestingly without sort of being that sort of comic trope of, oh, I was dead, now I'm back. And we didn't really have to deal with a whole lot of that, um, that mystery of why are you back? What's happening? What's going on? Um, and it also does some really, really interesting things, I think, with kind of tying, um, uh, bringing back John Blake, who at that point, I think had been dead for, I don't know, 10 years or 15 years or something in comics. Um, well, and, and for a lot of listeners, if your only experience with Thor is the movies and the Marvel Cinematic Universe, or even just the most recent five, seven year run of, of Thor, you may not know really who Donald Blake is. Donald Blake, do you want to give a little bit of background on there, John? Uh, well, Donald Blake in the original Thor series was a doctor who found, he somehow was involved in a cave-in and he found a magic stick that when he hit against the floor, he became Thor. And it was kind of one of those love triangles where he was in love with Jane Foster. Jane Foster was in love with Thor. Um, and Thor was just in love with himself. So. Yeah, well, that's an interesting thing. And I do thank you for bringing this up because I don't think this is necessarily the greatest place to jump into Thor but I don't know that there's ever a great place to jump into Thor. This is where I jumped into Thor. This was the first time I ever read Thor was the Straczynski run. Really? Uh, okay. Yeah. That, okay. Was, that was it for me. I, I, because I did not grow up reading a lot of comics. And so Civil War and specifically right after Civil War is the death of Steve Rogers. And that was the first time I started reading Marvel. I went to Forbidden Planet and I asked the gentleman there named Javier Rodriguez, um, hey, I've heard this Captain America was killed. Is it a good story? Should I read it? And he was like, start with Winter Soldier. Um, and they go from there. And I just became enthralled. And so the 2006, 2007 storylines was where I really enter into the Marvel Universe as a comic book reader. So this is exactly where I started reading Thor as a new reader. Um, and little, did you feel confused at all? You know what? I, I, I was not too bad with it. I think I might have Wikipedia'd real quick a couple of references. Mm -hmm. um, but I had read Civil War before this. So I knew that Thor was dead. 
And I just kind of, I've, I've always been one where I'm very happy to just sort of go with it. I don't need to know every little thing that happened. I assume that everything I need to know is on the page, which is stupid of me, but I'm an optimist in that sense <laughs> and only in the sense of reading. Um, but uh, so, so it wasn't too bad. I thought because it's such a clean slate of starting when a character is dead, um, and being brought back to life, Straczynski really gets to reestablish the entire Thor universe literally from the ground up. So yes, the story the starts with all of Asgard gone after Ragnarok. Yeah, uh, which Ragnarok I, finished. It was two thousand four. Two thousand four is part of the Avengers disassembled story that was going throughout the whole comics. It was because they think of the, the collection is Avengers disassembled Thor. And that contains the Ragnarok storyline that ends the whole shebang for him. Yeah, we pretend that storyline didn't exist. No offense. Oh, you do. To you? anyone. Uh, um, go back to the WandaVision. Uh, go back to the WandaVision episode. You want more about no. assembled and what happens. Um, and I actually had only read Thor as part of the Avengers. Um, mm -hmm. Thor was one of those characters like Iron Man and like um, in the DC universe, like uh, Batman or Aquaman, where I had really only read and been interested in as part as a part of a group, mm -hmm. um, I didn't necessarily feel like, oh, I want to read this character on their own. But I did buy this um, because this was recommended uh, by Julia at Forbidden Planet. Um, but I, um, so she loved Thor. Um, she had started like the I think the first comics she read were. Um, the Thor Walt Simonson run mm -hmm. um, and so she had recommended this to me so I remember searching for this forever at a comic-con I could find volume two and volume three couldn't find volume one anywhere couldn't find volume one anywhere searched for four days at a comic-con finally found one copy in some like way in the back all the way in the corner dealer and was just like all right let's let's start here um but I actually, this was this, something that did humanize Thor and make him very interesting. There's a lot in the beginning about isolation, which I think is interesting because again, see the WandaVision episode, Matthew and I had talked about the Kurt Busiek run. There is an entire kind of storyline towards the end of that where Thor deals with the fact that um, after this massive attack on earth, a bunch of heroes are dead and Thor is like, oh no, I'm going to outlive all of my friends. So I'm going to cut myself off from humanity. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a whole storyline in there. Don't want to spoil anything for anybody. Um, but I think it's interesting because they don't really talk about isolation. There's a lot of characters in comics who are immortal. Um, and I don't necessarily feel that there's a lot of storylines that do talk about isolation. No, and, and he talks about isolation on several different levels. First, he talks about First, he actually talks about isolation in the sense of death, right? In the sense mm -hmm. of mourning what you've lost, mourning the life that you've lost, and do you want to continue on? Do you want to try to reclaim that, or do you just sort of want to go down this, you know, mourn this death and embrace this death? Thor, obviously, there'd be no story really if he just sort of sat around in the proverbial void. Actually, in this one, the literal void. Um, so he. So he, he makes a choice to go back and sort of reclaim this life or reclaim this world 
But what is fascinating about it too is he truly does go back alone, but not only does he go back without any of the other Norse gods, he goes back without Asgard. He goes back without a home, without a, um, without a father in Odin who he'd known his whole existence and had spent so many adventures kind of looking for that approval. He's not going back to become a prince or to become a king. He is literally all alone, stranger in a strange land in many ways, which allows for a lot of really fascinating, you know, rebirth becomes a very, very, very big part of this storyline. Um, yeah. Which is also interesting because you literally start with a rebirth, which is also a very Judeo-Christian concept that gets a lot of play out there. Um, yes. This is very pagan. And obviously, because you're dealing with the Norse mythology, so you also have an interesting sort of cross uh, belief system that he's exploring there. Yeah, uh, well, there's a lot. And if you are into Greek mythology and all, see our Wonder Woman series and some of our Wonder Woman talkbacks earlier. Um, and if you see the comics corner where uh, our amazing sound designer Josh and I talk about um, talk about religion, there's a lot in this Norse mythology that you're going to you're going to see overlaps Greek mythology, overlaps Judeo-Christian mythology. Um, so it's there. They're so just from a, a sort of theological standpoint, there's a lot here that's really, really interesting about seeing how um, repetitive isn't the right word, seeing how many overlaps there are between creation stories and myths um, uh, and myths and monotheism versus polytheism and, and all of that. There's a whole lot that's, that's very, very interesting. So if you are, you know, uh, I would highly recommend, I'm going to stop here for, for uh, a, a minute and just say, if you have never read Joseph Campbell's Hero with a Thousand Faces, I would highly, highly recommend that, especially if you're into comic books. Um, it is fascinating um, to see how many stories and mythologies, how much they all have in common, because they're all very specific. It's kind of like, we're, we're, we tell the same story in different ways from different perspectives over and over again. It's the a really, really fascinating book. Do, but, have you read it? Uh, I'm trying to think if it was Hero with a Thousand Faces or The Hero's Journey that I read, or uh, not Hero's Journey, it was the other book though that he's, he's pretty famous for. Um, I'll have to look and see. If the Power of Myth? No, I think it was Hero with a Thousand Faces, now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, it's, it's, one, it's one of those ones that sort of everybody in college at some point or another, like, buys and then oh, yeah, yeah. reads and then doesn't ever really remember. But it's no. a fascinating book, and I would highly, highly recommend it. Um, okay, back to Thor. Um, so Thor ends up in the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma. Um, so Oklahoma. And, yes, and... Uh, magical waving of the hammer, bangarang, all of a sudden Asgard is back. Um, and Thor ends up having to deal with some real estate issues. Um, I'm saying, what a great narrative de device is Mjolnir. I mean, how yes. much bang do you get for your buck out of that one little hammer? Gives you superpowers and it can just bring back to life an entire city. Um, and you, and it becomes a locator. It's a, it's a Norse God locator when you, yes. Really well, it does more than bring back an entire city. It brings back almost everybody in Asgard. 
It does. It does. It brings them all back. So before we know it, and I'm, I'm moving us quickly through volume one so we can get to volume two and we can focus on Loki. Um, but it brings everybody back. Um, and all of a sudden, Asgard has to deal with the fact of living in small rural town America, um, which I find fascinating. And um, I'm going to tell you that my favorite characters in this story are actually not Thor or Loki. This does not surprise me. Okay, are you going to guess who they are? I, you might okay. know. I'm pretty sure I might have talked about this before. No, 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 no. I don't think you and I have ever talked about this run before. So I think this is all new territory. But let me see. Who could it be? I would say your favorite character is uh, Heimdall. My actual favorite characters in this book are Kelda and Bill. Oh, I should have guessed that. I'm an idiot. Um, it is this very sweet love story between uh, an Asgardian and a mortal. Um, and it really doesn't take up too much of this, although much later in this run and moving into it, uh, I think when they redo Journey into Mystery, yeah. it becomes a huge storyline. And it's absolutely fascinating. Because um, Straczynski left the story sort of in the middle of it. Um, uh, I forget what happened there. He had a falling out, I think, at some he, point. He did not want it to cross over with anything. And uh, they were doing siege. siege Marvel was doing yeah. siege. And they wanted Asgard to be destroyed. And they wanted Thor to be very involved in this. And he was like, no, 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 this is not what I want. And he ended up leaving the book. So it ended up being taken over by another writer. Gotcha. Yada, 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 yada. Um, however, um, so shout out to... Straczynski for creating Kelda and Bill, um, who have two of the most romantic moments I've ever seen in comics, but we'll get back to that later. But this is where, if you have ever Googled fan art or fan fiction or cosplay, you are going to see pictures of Lady Loki. And this is where we get Lady Loki. Spoiler alerts on full alert, ladies and gentlemen. It's not actually Lady Loki. It's Loki in the body of the goddess Sif, who happens to be Thor's ex-lover. And yeah. Thor is searching for Sif all over the world. And she is the one Asgardian that he cannot seem to find. And he does not know why. Yes. And I'm going to tell you, here's where I have a little tiny trouble with this story. Only a little tiny trouble? Well... I think it's a really fun story. I think there are some things that, uh, I think there are some leaps in logic that I had a really hard time making. For sorry, example- you have, you have difficulties in leaps in logic with Thor. I, well, here's my leap of logic problem. Okay. Okay. You've been with this woman for thousands of years and because she's wearing a different outfit, you don't recognize her? I really? No, no, he also changes her face a little bit. If you notice in, in the artwork, he does change her face so that it's sort of an amalgamation of hers and his. So I think that mm. is meant to sort of be it. But no, yes, he's a typical white heterosexual male who actually does not pay attention to his partner. I do not disagree with you there. I, I was like, I, mm, I, I'll, I'll buy that explanation, but I'm going to buy it at a bargain price. I just couldn't get into it. 
Um, you, you had to haggle over that one a little bit. Yeah, I was like, I'm not paying full price for this. I'll take it for 35% off and go into it, but I'm not. Look, I'm just saying, how long did it take Lois to be recognizing Clark as Superman, even oh. though she was in a relationship with Clark? Oh, I'm not saying I forgive Lois for that, but... <laughs> But that's a that's another plate of potatoes. Okay, so let's get into volume two, which is where the Loki portion of this the the program comes in, and we'll really get into sort of how it how it does. This is a much longer um, book, and it also has a lot more about Thor's history, about the history of Asgard, and about the history of Loki. I find it fascinating um, because Loki is sort of always been like, I'm the god, I'm the trickster god, I'm the god of mischief. Um, no girl, you are the god of straight up evil shit. That's what you are. So let's just own that and claim it, right? Am I wrong? <laughs> Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong at all. He's, he almost says like, oh, I'm just the god of mischief as a way of being like, hey, don't pay that much attention to me or oh, if I fuck up, I'm just the god of mischief. When really he's like plotting to destroy everything. He's just an entropic force basically in, in all of comics. Yeah, he's just essentially trying to destroy everywhere. Yeah. Um, and although I do find the sort of idea of um, at this point, Don, Blake and Thor no longer are sharing bodies while Thor heals himself. So there's the having these two separate storylines go on, which you don't really generally get to do um, with, you know, superheroes and their secret identities, because obviously there's the same person. This is well, really it's kind of schizophrenic. Tricky, right? The relationship with Donald Blake is a fascinating one because Donald Blake is not a secret identity. It's a completely other human being. There is yeah, it's more parasitic, I think. Yeah, they're body sharing. You know, like it's 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 one of those it's it's a really weird dynamic. And it's at this point, at least in their coexistence, you know, Donald Blake is sort of more than happy to share. And is like, I got to be here for the big guy more than he's got to be here for me. Sorry, Jane Foster. But um, who is Donald Blake's love interest in this or wants to be sort of maybe could be um so it's it's a weird one but yes they get to do they get to do a fascinating split where thor has to go into the thor sleep because odin's dead so they rechristen it um and he and donald are now essentially split so donald can kind of go do his own thing whilst thor is rolling around in another realm in a sort of between life and death sort of state Yes. Uh, which allows for a fascinating sort of parallel storyline going on. Yeah, and which I which is something that I, I do find kind of interesting. I am gonna say something that's going to break the internet in half. Not really, but I think I think this is something that we're gonna have to tussle out, you and I. Um, which is that I'm going to say that Thor to me is a little bit like the Joker in that if you didn't have a really charming, interesting actor play them, I don't think the character would get quite as much traction in the comics as they do. Well, wait, wait, wait. 
I think if you, you didn't, didn't have an actor playing them, they wouldn't get as much traction. In if you comedy. didn't have an actor who was as charming and as interesting as Tom Hiddleston is, I don't know that Loki would be as popular as he is. No, he wouldn't. He and wouldn't. The same, and I would say the same thing, frankly, about the Joker being played by Jack Nicholson and Heath Ledger. Um, I don't know that that people would find the Joker as as like, let's have him in every book. Um, but I, this is one of those things that I find really interesting because I don't, the Loki here is so outwardly manipulative and so clearly obviously manipulative that every yes. time one of the Asgardians fall for it, I'm like, girl, pull it together. Like just take a hot minute and breathe. This man has been manipulating you and your people for thousands and thousands of years. I, I can't believe you're falling for that. What is wrong with you? Well, this, it's an interesting this is one. like that well, whole Popeye falling for I'll gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. It's, what do you it's think? One of those, it's one of those things because Loki, to, to set it up for you, dear listeners, Loki has begged Thor off and said, you've gotten a second chance. Give me a second chance. Give me a new fresh start, you know, and like, look at my body. I'm come back different. Clearly I've been, you know, I paid my dues. We all died in Ragnarok. Give me a chance to earn your trust and to be by your side. And Thor, because I mean, some will claim it's nobility. I like to claim it's naivete or just straight up stupidity is like, sure. No worries, bro. Let's make this or sis. I'm not sure what you, what, I guess at this point it'd be, hey, sis, no worries. Yeah. Let's, let's do this. Um, and then Loki completely just easily starts manipulating his way through every single Asgardian that he finds, including the uh, uh, irrevocably loyal Balder the Brave. Including Balder, including Volstagg. Volstagg, Hogan. Including, you know, all of them. And it's not even, as I, as, and as I was rereading it last night, it's not even that Loki wasn't making some interesting points about the idea of we're now on Earth and yet Thor is telling us we can't interact with it. Um, why can't we do all of these things? It's not that Loki isn't making interesting points. It just seems, maybe because I'd read it several times before, but, or maybe I'm just really naturally cynical, which is also a possibility, but I just read it and I'm like, this just seems really blatantly manipulative. And I can't believe that any of you are falling for it. Granted, I'm not an immortal um, who's lived for thousands of years and then come back to life and I'm having some sort of weird existential crisis about why can't I interact with the world? I mean, I'm, it is. It is one of those things where like you recognize it. How many, how many friends are in like shitty relationships, but they don't realize it because they're so in the throes of it and just going through the day to day. And you look on the outside, like it's so blatantly obvious. You just need to break up with the person. And it feels like maybe that's the case here. They've all just come back to life. They've all been displaced. They're now under new rules that they don't understand for how to live and how to conduct themselves. So Maybe that's why they're just sort of like, hey, Loki makes a good point. Why can't we go out into the world and hunt cross giants and kill boars in Texas and just all sorts of good things? Yeah. And I mean, and, and I understand that. Side note, I am that person. I, I am that person? basic bitch who's like, 
call me back when you dump him because I don't want to hear any of the drama in the meantime. This is what I'm telling you. This is what I told you. Don't want to hear it. So either A, you can talk to me, but not about him, or B, call me back when you break up with him because I don't want to hear it. I am that person. You're welcome. Uh, Listen, we all need that person in our lives, John, and I'm very happy that you are that person in my life. (laughs) You're welcome. You know that I call Lauren and I'm like, break up with him. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Tell her for 13 years that she could do better. She just refuses to believe me or she's just too lazy and I don't flip her either. (laughs) Oh, that was a terrible thing to say. I'm going to pay for that joke at some point, ladies and gentlemen. However, okay. This episode, you'll be fine. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Um, But yeah, so that, again, it's a leap of logic. I'm going to buy into it again at a bit of a bargain price, but I do think that this is one of those storylines that does a really, really wonderful job of focusing on the villain. Um, But I, again, I don't know that I, I almost am at that point where I'm like, which came, you know, like, would this be sort of like a quintessential Loki storyline? And one of the reasons that we chose this to talk about was because I just, I find this really interesting, but there's a lot of Loki storylines where you can go back, there's kid Loki, and there's Loki as part of the Young Avengers. And then there's, I mean, there's just so many, yeah, there's a lot of Loki stories where you're like, I don't know where I'm going to jump in. So Well, there's, there's Loki stories to your point, after Tom Hiddleston debuted the character in the first yes. movie. That is when Marvel said, we need to get some Loki stories out there, too sweet. And I think, doing? yeah, and I think some of the things that they did, because like Kid Loki came out after that, and I think one of the things that they did was try to um, figure out a way to make Loki a little bit more like the MCU Loki. Absolutely. And they did that with everybody, right? Like suddenly after in uh, Iron Man 1 comes out and Matt Fraction starts a brand new run with Salvador La Roca doing artwork and suddenly Tony Stark looks exactly like Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. And he sounds exactly like Robert Downey Jr. And the first storyline is about Obadiah Stane, who is the villain in the movie. It's about his son. So like the, and, and that's not bad, by the way, I'm not saying that's a bad tack, but you saw that across yeah. all of the Marvel lines, Steve Rogers looked a lot more like Chris, um, Chris, Chris Evans. Evans. out of sight, out of mind, Chrissy. Um, so it's, so it's one of the, it's one of those things where they, they saw that the character caught fire in the MCU and they said, okay, we need to find a way to really captivate on this. But it also gave creators a license on this character to go, no, he's more of a mustache, you know, more than a mustache twirling villain. You can really add a lot of depth and make him, because this is at a point in the Straczynski run, he's just a villain. He's purely rotten. Yeah. He, one of the things I do really appreciate about this story is, I learn about the character, but I'm not asked to feel sorry for him at yes. any point. And there's- I, I mean, there are, I think there are moments in there where you can certainly see why you would feel sorry for him. I can empathize, but I don't sympathize. You know, like I, I that's, yeah. that's the kind of thing that this story does, which is brilliant because I don't need to feel bad for the villain 
all the time. Like this is a this is a bad trope, I think, that, that now creators have used and abused where they need to explain the villain in a way that you feel sorry for them. Cruella, I'm looking at you. Um, when, I, when you don't necessarily need that, there's a way of deepening an understanding of a character without saying, you should feel bad even though there are horrible, evil people doing horrible, evil things to do. Yeah. And Straczynski never, never toes that line. Straczynski is very good about showing you a very interesting portrayal of Loki without saying like, yeah, but all his manipulation and his killing is because of childhood trauma, so you're fine with it. You know, it's yeah. like, feel bad for him first. Yeah, when you're sort of like at that point where you're like, I get it, girl, you were hurt as a child. Get over it. Um, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be unsympathetic. It's been a rough week. So apologies out there to anyone Look, who's had difficulties in their past, as we all we're have. We're still in COVID. We're still in COVID times. It's all yeah. rough weeks. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to, you know, explain away bad behavior and I don't want to trivialize childhood trauma. Um, I do want to just point out that like, perhaps a slightly overused villain trope. What I do also find interesting about Loki um, is I think when he is written well, um, and there's, there's an interesting comparison in the Young Avengers book by um, Jerry yeah. Kelvey. Yeah, it was Kieran and McKell. Yeah, it was Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKell. Kieran Gillen. Kieran Gillen. Yeah. Thank you. No, um, but there, there's an interesting kind of comparison to Loki uh, in that book with Tyrion in Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. And what I think is really interesting, and in that I think when, I, I mean, clearly they had to pick Loki for the first villain in the Thor. It makes sense. 110%. I'll be interested in seeing what they do in the TV show and here's why. Because I think when Loki works as a villain um, is the same thing that often happens with the Riddler, which it doesn't translate into a movie, which is only two hours or so. It really has to trans because the things that Loki does, the things that the Riddler does are so brainy and so cerebral and so manipulative. I don't think they always work um, in a movie. Um, I get you there. I get you there. Here's, here's my, my, my cynical skepticism. Ooh, you're the cynic now. Good. I will absolutely be the cynic. It is very, very hard, nigh impossible to have a comic book series of multiple, multiple issues or a TV show or even a feature length film centered around a villain while keeping them an actual villain. They have a tendency because you have so much time and the audience has to follow them as a lens character in a lot of ways. This is who you're following. This is their story. You have so much time and so much happens. They feel the need to sympathize that character to where they are no longer the villain of the story they are the anti-hero of the story they are the hero of the story i don't know i don't know i'm going to disagree with another game of thrones thing which is circe circe's not the main character of that show mm, okay i guess i can buy that and um, circe they do try to give you sympathy on her when she is in turn 
victimized by that. Culture. I don't know anyone who felt sympathy for Susan at that point. I'm pretty sure everybody was like, yes, shame, shame. I'm, I can't, I'm, I, I'd be willing to bet you that everyone who watched that show chanted shame, shame when she was walking. I don't know if I believe you there. I mean, the thing about this though is again, and you're going to see this on the TV show on some level, generally a villain starts off the protagonist, but then there is a worse evil that violates their code as a villain that's out there. And so suddenly by comparison, they're bad, but they're trying to do something, you know, stop somebody even worse. And then they'll go back to being a villain, right? But by that time, you've undone everything. Um, so it's, that's my concern with the show on some level is what are they going to do uh, with that character? But Loki's also no longer a villain, quite frankly, in the MCU. Um, he died yeah, I, the only movie that I've seen, the only movie that I've seen Loki in is the Avengers. I haven't, I've only seen about a quarter of the MCU movies. You've not seen any of the Thor films? No, um, because I felt that Chris Hemsworth wasn't shirtless enough because I understand Hemsworth not wanting to objectify himself, but I think, you know, but I, I'm, I'm fine with a little objectifying of the, of the male body. I feel like women have done it for so many, have had it, have, excuse me, I feel like women have had it happen to them for so many years. I'm like, take the objectification and run with it. Because if I looked like Chris Hemsworth, I would be shirtless anywhere and everywhere that was even mildly oh, socially acceptable. Absolutely. <laughs> I, would, I would be shirtless in places where it's not mildly socially acceptable. I would just be shirtless. And I'd be like, you know what? It better get acceptable. I'd be like, oh my God, you guys, it's 40 degrees out. It's so hot. I'm just going to take my shirt off. Um, but no, I've never seen any of the Thor movies. I've never seen any of the Iron Man movies. I've never seen the, any of the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Um, uh, that's a whole other story. But the my only experience with Loki is in... Um, Avengers. Is in Avengers. And the reason that I was bringing up the sort of cerebral aspect of it is that it really makes him a, and his... What were they called? The Chitauris? Chitauri, yeah. The Chitauri army. It really turns it into a physical threat as opposed to a sort of um, intellectual, emotional manipulation threat where suddenly a hero finds himself. And I understand it. It's a big action movie. They're comic books. They're about fisticuffs. I get it. Um, but that was my reasoning behind saying, okay, I don't know that a movie can do a, a character like him real justice the way that you could have it in you know a 12 issue arc of a comic book it's interesting there one of the maybe my favorite issue of the series that we've read you know mm -hmm. for the show today is a loki centric issue where he is revisiting certain moments in his timeline um for very yes, you see how manipulative he is and not just to others, but to himself. Yes. And it's it's a fascinating, to me, this is the pinnacle of Straczynski showing me greater depth to Loki without asking me to feel sorry for him. Um, because it could easily have gone that way. Mm -hmm. And Straczynski pulls the line and says, no, 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 no. I'm not asking that of you, the reader. 
I'm asking you to understand to his core who this character is, right. not just what he does to other people, but what he does to himself. Right. Um, and it's it's a fascinating journey that I I really enjoyed out of this whole 12 issues that I read in, in the last night. Right. What what's it, what just occurred to me when you were saying that was when we were when we were talking about Loki's past is there's no real in Greek mythology in Greek mythology and Roman mythology and Norse mythology. I think maybe in Egyptian mythology this might not be true, but I haven't read enough of it recently to really sort of think about it. But you know, Loki is the god of mischief and he plays a lot of jokes. Hermes the same way in Greek mythology, but even in Greek mythology where you have Ares and you have, you know, even in Norse mythology where you see gods do terrible things to human beings, there's no one who's really an, a quote unquote evil god. You know, there's nobody who's really, you know, even Ares is seen as necessary, war is sometimes seen as necessary. Um, he's seen as destructive, but necessary. Um, you really don't get that sort of good versus evil until we get to Christ Judeo-Christianity and monotheism and the idea of no, having your hell, Satan versus God. No, it's kind of an interesting it, thing. It's an interesting, I, I think there's something to explore there. And I think that Straczynski on some level even ties that in here with, with his take on the mythology because it is, it is a true exploration of belief mm -hmm. and it's belief not just from humans it's belief from gods in the, themselves of themselves mm -hmm. what is a god with no one to worship them right that is the ultimate um isolation right which go. which has been done in numerous storylines actually straczynski did it in his wonder woman run yes Rucka did it in his Wonder Woman run. Obviously, Neil Gaiman wrote American Gods, which is all about that. Um, there's a book called, oh, I'm never going to remember it. I won't remember it for Can't a few years. Title? Oh, it's, it's called Gods Behaving Badly, which is an entire oh, book about the Greek gods in modern day London, um, which is really, really funny um, and definitely worth a read if you, if you ever well, get to it. Yeah, another um, comic, Wicked and Divine, by Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey. Yeah. Um, dealing with with very similar themes. And it's it's a really it's it's always ripe with dramatic potential, but mm -hmm. it's also that sense of of universality in terms of reevaluating your belief system, but also it comes down to identity. And this is very much a story about identity. This is a story about sharing an identity. This is a story about reestablishing your identity, redefining your identity. In Loki's case, literally stealing identities. Um, and so identity is a really central theme to what this whole thing explores. And part of your identity is your history. What secrets are there? What are things that you saw one way and actually have a whole other and they get into that with Baldur the Braves kind of storyline. Um, how do you redefine your identity based on where you are living and what your culture that you're surrounded by and therein lies the Broxton Oklahoma with Asgard living now as neighbors and two diametrically different societies who now have to learn about each other's culture and learn how to get along um, and what that influences on the other. Mm -hmm. And so identity 
is so key to this story. And I think Loki gets to play with it the most in terms of his own identity, in terms of playing with the identity of the other Asgardians. He's given the, the almost the Shakespearean fool's power of knowing more than everybody else and mm-hmm. seeing a bit more than everybody else clearer. Um, and he knows he can manipulate the pieces. And at the same point in time, there's an ultimate lack of control that he revels in with it. It's interesting because I don't see, I don't see it as much about identity as I think you do. I find it really interesting because to me, there's a point counterpoint storyline, which is there's Loki and Balder, and then there's Kelda and Bill. And the idea um, where Loki manipulates Balder into going out into the world and seeing what it's like and understanding it. There's that very sweet moment in, in volume one where Kelda and Bill are talking when they first meet. And mm-hmm. he says to her, what is it like living up there? And she says, well, it's a remarkable thing, not the place as much as the question, because we all spend our time looking over and mm-hmm. wondering what is it like living down there? So I almost feel like for me, it's, it is about identity, but it's almost just as much feeling about, um, you know, what is it, what is, what is it to really understand someone else's experiences? What is it to, you know, clearly in this case, it's divine versus mortal, but what is it to understand, you know, and, you know, tying into, because it's Pride Month, happy Pride, everybody, um, tying into this sort of idea of sort of, uh, maybe I'm stretching too much. Maybe I'm just looking at it with a modern eye. I just think you're very flexible. But when, well, you know, but, you know, we, we've been talking for the last year about what is it to be an ally? What is it to understand, you know, listen and learn. It's sort of that interesting thing to me. I, I, you know, and again, maybe I'm stretching, maybe I'm reading into it, but for me, it's a kind of a story of how do I understand what someone else's experiences are? And Bill and Kelda do it in this very, very sweet way. And of course, Loki and Balder do it in this very, very violent, um, like murdering frost giants in front of a child start collecting money for that kid's therapy right now, dad, because he's never going to get over that. Um, but it's, it's really kind of interesting. And the sort of, you know, the, 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 um, the sweetness that Bill has about kind of experiencing what her life and the sweetness that she has of really falling in love with someone who's immortal. And then there's, you know, there's a lot of like the kids sort of, you know, being, you know, like, well, dad, why didn't you punch out a boar and, you know, lift a truck over your head kind of thing. And sort of this sort of counterpoint of the sweetness of really understanding what someone's life is versus the jealousy of looking at their life and going, oh, why can't I have that? Um, yeah. Well, I, and I think you can, you can go a slightly other way, which is that it's, it's a, it's a story of, it, it's a tale of two cities who are, forced to interact and it's it's about culture and it's about learning about culture or being afraid of culture and they certainly play with the idea of the other to the Asgardians mortals are the other to mortals the Asgardians are the other so you know and in Bill and Kelda's case they build a bridge to learn and listen and in other parts of the story they are confronted with stereotypes 
of mm -hmm. what they assume the other is like, and they are given examples to reinforce their own echo chamber, which is a very relevant um, theme going on right now, unfortunately, in the world, not just our country, but certainly in our country. Mm -hmm. So I think that this is the brilliance of Straczynski's storytelling. He actually is able to allow enough room for readers like us, for me to latch on to identity, for you to talk more about um, the idea of perspective and understanding, for me then to latch on to culture shock and culture, cultural exchange. All of these are right. There's enough evidence in the text, as we said in my dramaturgical classes, um, to, to support any and all of these things. And I think that's just a, a, a wonderful benefit to great storytelling and a shout out to the artwork in here as well. I think this is some of Koipel's best work of his career. Yes. Um, and I love the two filler issues that Marco does. I think they are, I think Marco actually is a better fit for those issues and the sort of gritty father-son storyline that you experience, and those are in book two that we are talking about. Mm -hmm. um, but it gives a really wonderful ability to capture the fantastical divine essence of Asgard, but also brings it into a very interesting, almost like a fable, like you're learning about a fable of two cities that are learning you know, there's there's supposed to be a moral at the end of the story by the end of it is what it feels like. Well, there's a moral at the end of everyone's story. So, you know, for those of you out there who still think that comics are for kids, we've just had a, a discussion that talks about identity, um, cultural politics, uh, religion, uh, and uh, romance while talking about a Thor comic, which I think is uh, is pretty interesting. So this is, I can't ask the question that I normally ask at the end of the comics corner, which is, what did you think? Cause you'd already read it. So let's adjust the question a little bit. Um, I am gonna give this book a definite recommendation with certain reservations. It's not a perfect story. I think that there are some issues with it, um, but I am gonna say, you know what? Uh, it's the only, this run is the only, or the only Thor comics on my shelf. I had a good time reading them. Um, I enjoyed them. I revisit them on occasion. And so I am, I think I'm going to give this one, I, I'm, I think I'm going to give this an eight out of a 10. That's a good score. That's yeah. a really good score. You know, I, I try. I, I, I have maybe three books that are flat out tens, but I'm, I'm going to give this one a solid eight out of a 10. I'm going to ask you about that for bonus content when we finish up here. But okay. um, I, I will also recommend with reservations. Um, I will recommend this run of Thor. I do not recommend only reading book two. I think you need to start from the beginning. J. Michael Straczynski is a long form writer. You look at Babylon 5. That was a multi-seasonal you know, arc of a show. Yeah. He writes with that sort of epic structure to it. This is not, it reads better in trade than it ever did in single issues. Um, it is paced like a novel. So start from the beginning and try and get as far to the end of Straczynski's run as you can. The deeper you go, 
the more payoff there is. And it's not, it's not a long run. It's only about 17 issues. Um, Fair warning, when he leaves, another writer wraps up. So there's a little bit of dissonance there. Um, And I do want, uh, I'm sorry, I totally interrupted you. No, no, no. That's okay. It's John's comic corner. So you have, and I'm, I'm literally wearing a tiara right now. So I am, and it's pride month. So I am the queen and I'm going to take control. Um, But I do wanna say, we will most likely be revisiting uh, some Loki conversation as we get further and further into the movie and music world uh, or the movie world where we, some upcoming episodes of Comic Corner will go into uh, the Suicide Squad, the Eternals, uh, Shang-Chi and probably some other uh, up and coming movie property. Um, you know, hopefully we'll get a, a good Black Widow episode in there sometime soon. Um, I've I got just some... the read, so. Uh, oh, really? I, well, we'll talk about this for the bonus content because I want to know if it's the same thing that I would recommend. But anyway, um, so I want to thank you all for joining us. Um, we are very happy to have you uh, come join us. Uh, let us know on our social medias, which is at the cruelest month. Um, let it dry, you know, follow us on Twitter, like us at on the Instagram. Podcast. I'm sorry. It's at, at the, the cruelest, cruelest month, month underscore at the cruelest month podcast. I, I don't have social media. <laughs> I'm the worst. I'm, I know I'm, I'm old. I, I don't understand social media. That's not true. John is on Twitter. Where can they find you on Twitter, John? That's true. I am on Twitter. I'm at John Petrie Wright. Um, R-W-R-I-T-E. It's the most supportive Twitter account in all of Twitter. Just loveliest of lovelies. Is I do feel like it's important to put um, only positivity out there in the universe. I have put up snarky tweets and then deleted them like five minutes later because I thought, that's mean and I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. Don't worry about it. The NSA has them all. I promise. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, But uh, we do want to thank you for joining us. Um, As I said, stay tuned for some upcoming Comics Corners. Uh, Depending on where this one falls, I can't remember. Are we going before or after the next episode of Heidi and Nora Don't Know Things? I think we're going after them, Um, which means uh, that once you listen to this episode, next week's episode will be the newest narrative podcast of the cruelest month. Uh, so come That's back and join us. It's the other way. Uh, Heidi and Nora come after us. Come after oh, us. Oh, Heidi and Nora come after us. Okay, so next time Thank you'll you, get Tom. Heidi and Nora don't know nerd things, um, which is perhaps the most the best game show you'll ever cosmically have. fun game show in the world. Um, so again, we talked about Thor uh, volumes one through three by J. Michael Straczynski, um, Olivier Coipel, and Marco Djurdovic. Um, Thank you for joining us and uh, stay with us so that you too can learn why April is the cruelest month. Thank you.